Genesis 1, 26 to 2, 3. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is God's sovereign word. May he bless it. So for those who haven't been with us over the last uh, couple of weeks, we've been uh, looking at Genesis 1, and we've seen how the universe that we live in came to be didn't come via a big bang or some random chemicals colliding to create the world that we live in. Genesis tells us the Lord spoke and the creation came into existence. He spoke and brought order out of chaos, light out of darkness, the universe that we live in out of nothing. And the world that we live in is amazing, isn't it? With all its variations, its intricacies, and its wonder. The sun, the moon, the stars, the clouds, the seas, and the land, the birds, the insects, and the sea creatures. It's an amazing world that we live in. It's an amazing universe that we exist within. No wonder the psalmist says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim his handiwork. You look at the sky, you see... What a wonderful world we live in, a beautiful world. But now we come to the pinnacle of God's creation on the sixth day, human beings, you and me. The summit of God's creation is the human race. As amazing as the animals are and show of the glory of God, the human race reflects God's very image. And this text this morning basically answers two really important questions, two big questions that we all ask. The first one is this, who are we? And the second question this text answers is, why are we here? Who are we and why are we here? We've all asked that question, haven't we? Maybe by ourselves, maybe gone on Wikipedia, trying to look it up, what the answer is, maybe just chatting down the pub with our mates. Who are we? Big question. And secondly, why are we here? What have we been created for? So that's what I want to look at this morning. So the first question, who are we? 
Verse 26 and 27 clearly answer that question. Human beings, you and me, are made in the image of God. You and I are, what the Bible says, image bearers of our Creator. Verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our own likeness. Verse 27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You and I, man and woman, are created in the image of God. Now, what does that mean exactly? Before we answer that question, I just want you to notice one thing in the text before we answer that. Look, look at verse 26 and how God speaks to himself. He says, let us make man in our own image. What's that all about? I thought God was one. Why is he speaking to himself? Is there more than one God? Well, the Bible tells us as we go on in the Bible that God is one in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God is speaking to himself and creating man in his own image. So what does that mean? This means that there are similarities between animals and us, but there's also huge differences. There's similarities between animals and us, but there are also big differences. So we're similar to animals in that we've been created in God's, uh, by God's words. We've been created by the dust of the earth, and God has breathed life into us. That's probably why we share a lot of DNA with animals, particularly chimpanzees. We've been created from the same substance, the dust of the earth. However, Human beings are unique because we are image bearers of the God who created us. God, if you like, has stamped himself on us. Let me give you an illustration. Think of a mirror. When we look in a mirror, we see a reflection of ourselves. While the human race in the same way reflects, in some small way, who God is. We're not God. But we are like God in many ways. And so that means we have a conscience. We know what right from wrong is. We can make decisions. Why? Because God is a moral God. And he's created us in that way. It means mentally we think in more sophisticated ways than the animals do. No chimpanzee is getting a computer out and sitting there and writing a book. As clever as they are. No chimpanzee is writing Mozart's. Or, 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 or rap music, or whatever. And finally, and most importantly, spiritually, we're different to the animals. God has created us with the ability to speak to him, and he also speaks to us. Again, you don't see a group of cats getting together and praying to God and singing how great God is. That's what humans do. We have been created the capacity to worship and love and know and communicate and be communicated to by our maker. Therefore, humans, male and female, are the pinnacle of God's creation, the top, if you like, of God's creation. Psalm 8 puts it this way, which Sam read earlier. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? 
and the Son of Man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you crowned him with glory and honor. Human beings have been created just a little bit lower than the angels, and we are crowned with honor and glory. And people often say in the street, particularly around here, you know what, we're no different to the animals. A monkey and a human were cut from the, the same cloth. What's the big deal here? But we are very different from the animals. If you said to that same person, you've got a choice between shooting your dog and shooting your child, which one are you going to shoot? You're not going to think twice about it. You're shooting that dog and putting it down. And you're keeping the child alive. Because as much as we love our dogs and we treat them fairly, we love them nothing like we love our children. That's because human life is precious. Human life is unique. Human life is the crowning glory of God's creation. And it's really important that we understand this this morning because it's only when you understand that you're made in the image of God that you'll begin to understand your value. It's only when you understand that you are made in the image of God that you'll begin to understand your value. It's only when we understand that we're made in the image of God that we'll begin to understand that we have a purpose. It's only when we understand that we're made in the image of God that you'll begin to grasp your destiny. It's only when you realize that you're made in the image of God that you begin to understand how much God cares for us. Did you notice in the text uh, in chapter 1 that God provides food for the first humans? Did you also notice in the text that God also speaks to the first humans? In other words, God reminds us from the very first day that we are God's precious creatures and he cares for us and he wants to communicate with us. I mean, it's not like God has put us in a, on a rubbish dump of a planet, is it? God has put us in a beautiful place with wonder and beauty and variation and amazing food. Saturday night, you can call up a Chinese, you can call up the chippy, you can call up the Indian. You can call up for some Italian food. You can call up for pretty much anything in the world these days. It's amazing, isn't it? We've all got different tastes and different things we like. That's because God has made the world like that, with lots of different textures and things to eat. It's not like God has dumped us on planet Earth like Asda's on a Sunday night. If you go to Asda's on a Sunday night... I went there last week. The shelves are empty. Everyone's come in like locusts and taken all the food. And they're restocking it. That's not what it was like on day one for the human beings. Or for us even today. The world was made full of food. So that people could eat and have energy to worship God. And the God of the Bible that we see is not a far-off God. Verse 28, God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. He's a speaking God. Our God wants to have a relationship with his human race. You know, sometimes we can think, does God really care for me? Is there really a God? Or sometimes we look at our lives with a lot of discontentment, don't we? We think, I wish I had that, and I wish I had that. We say, like my children, you never give me anything, Dad. 
Why are you not giving me this? We're like that all the time, though, aren't we, with God? You never give me anything, God. How ungrateful are we? This text reminds us that God cares for us deeply. God has provided for us a world to live in, a beautiful world to live in, even though it's broken today and fallen. It's a beautiful world still with lots of food. He wants to communicate us. And he's made us a little lower than the angel. Instead of saying, God, you never give me anything, we should say like the psalmist, oh God, what is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You are so great and majestic and holy. You've created this amazing universe. Why do you even care for me? And yet that's what God does. In fact, when you're feeling alone in the world and of little value, don't forget that God cares for you, for you more than you know. And that he wants to hear from you and that you can hear from him too. We should never forget the privilege that God is a speaking God through his word and that we can speak to him in prayer and bring our burdens and our wants and our needs and our desires to him. Our world is so full of lonely and lost people, isn't it? Looking for purpose, grabbing around in the dark. And yet God has told us he is our creator. We've been created in his image and he wants to speak to us. And he wants to work in our lives and to change us. So, who are we? We're creating the image of God. Second question, what's our job? What's our purpose? Why are we here? What are we doing on planet Earth? Well, God, if you notice in this text again, gave the first humans two particular tasks. One, to work, and two, to worship. Two tasks he's given us, to work and to worship. Verses 28 to 31, the first humans are given work to do. He says to them, be fruitful and multiply, verse 28. In other words, procreate and create other image bearers who will fill the world and reflect the glory of God. And not only that, verse 26 and 28 tells us we are to rule over, subdue, and have dominion over every living thing. So what does that mean? Well, Genesis 1 tells us that God is the one who is the creator over all things. He's the king. He created everything by his powerful words. He then hands over creation to humans to rule under him. We are given a kingly task to rule over the world, to care for it, to steward it, and to look after the world that we live in. That means we are to explore the world and try to understand it better, to understand the world that we live in. And we are to use the resources God has given us to bring order and to care for the world. I mean, have you ever wondered why a documentary like Frozen Planet is so fascinating? Apart from the fact that it's beautiful cinematography, it's because we're finding out more about the world that we live in. We don't know about the North Pole very much because we've not been there. So you watch a documentary and you find out more about what the animals are doing up there. It's what we've been created to do. Or have you, understand, have you ever thought, why is it so satisfying to get a flat pack from Ikea and put it together 
and see your finished work. It's annoying in between with all the stages and stuff, and I hate those bits. But when you stand back and you say, oh, I put that together with all the instructions, you feel satisfied, don't you? Well, I do anyway, because I'm not very good at DIY. When you build something, or when you cook something, or when you take care of your garden, as humans, we're echoing God's original commands to the first humans to rule and subdue the land. We were created to understand the world we live in, explore it, and use the resources God has given us to benefit other humans, the animal kingdom, and to steward the world. And notice again, this is a high calling. We are God's little kings here on earth. In fact, the command to rule over and have dominion and be fruitful actually mirrors God and what he has done in creating us. He brought order to the world out of chaos. Well, we are to do the same in our lives. God has created a beautiful world to live in. We're to observe that beautiful world and look after it. God fills the world with animals and the first humans. We are to fill the world as well with other image bearers. God worked and rested, as we'll see in a few verses' time. We're to work hard and to rest too. As humans, therefore, we have this high calling to image God, to work, to be fruitful, to be productive, to bring order, to care for the world that we live in. And that's why, for example, work is a good thing. We were not created to sit around the house, watching EastEnders all day, smoking a spliff, and putting our feet up and doing nothing. Why are people who are unemployed so depressed? Because they were created with gifts and talents to use to the glory of God. We were created to work, and we were created to be productive. That's why when we are our happiest, when we're doing productive things in our lives, when we use our time to be fruitful, when we have things to contribute to society, when we look after our houses and we look after our gardens, when we build things, when we serve in church, when we get to the end of the day and say, I've been productive today. We weren't created to laze around and do nothing. We were created to rule and we were created to be fruitful. Creating is good, jobs are good, families are good. That's one of the reasons we have an internship program at Nidri and across on the 20 Skeens plants. Why? So that those maybe who become Christians and maybe have been unemployed before can come in and use their gifts and their time to the glory of God. That's why we set up Retrain, for example, so that jobs and businesses could be started to employ those who are not working and give people something productive to do. Now, obviously, we've messed that up, and we haven't done it to the glory of God over the years since the fall. We don't steward the world as we should. We don't submit to God as we should, and the world's a mess around us. But the original command still stands. And when we get saved by Jesus Christ, we then use our lives to the glory of God to be fruitful. To be fruitful. You're not saved to sit. You are saved to serve. In your families, in your houses, in your church, in your community. But not only that, we were also created to worship. We'll end with this. Not just created to work, we were also created to worship God and enjoy him forever. Notice 
that once all is completed, the universe, the human race, God rests. You see that in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. The creation act is finished. It is perfect. Everything is as God wants it to be. And that's why the word seven is mentioned two times in this text. It's the number for perfection in the Bible. That's why the Lord says at the end of chapter one, when he looks at creation, he says it's very good. All the way through, he says it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. When he creates human beings and he looks back at the world, he says it's very good. In other words, it's complete. It's done. It's perfect. And at the beginning of the world, there was no struggle for existence. There was no disease. There was no survival of the fittest. There was no pollution. There was no imbalance. There was no disorder. There was no sin. There was no death. The world that God created at the beginning was perfect. And so with all creation finished, God rests on the seventh day. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that at the end of the creation, God got a little bit tired and he needed a little bit of a kip, like we do sometimes when we're tired after working a little bit? Well, that's not what it means here. God didn't need a rest in that way. The word rest is better translated stopped or ceased. He looked at the perfection of what he'd done and he stopped because creation was done, it was finished. Because everything was as it was supposed to be. And so he blessed the seventh day. And so into the very cycle of our creation, God has built this cycle of six days work and one day rest to remind us that he is the God who created us and we've been created to image him and to worship him with our lives. We weren't created to be robots or slaves. We were created to know God and love him and worship him and be blessed by him and to find our rest in him. And that's what the seventh day is all about. Later on, that's what the Sabbath is all about when God commands out the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel. He says to the people of Israel, work six days and then stop on the seventh day from all your labours so that you might worship me and remember why you're here. Stop and find your rest in me. And so they were supposed to stop all that they were doing, and they did for many decades, and worship the Lord. You see, the Sabbath wasn't to go on holiday. It wasn't a rest from responsibilities like we think today. You know, when we think about rest, we think it's about going on holiday for two weeks, having no responsibilities in our lives, and that's it. That's not what God means here. God means to rest from your work, and find your rest in him. However, as time went on, the Sabbath rest got compromised. The people of Israel, for example, chose to work seven days and not rest at all. And judgment came upon them. Other people who were Israelites also said, do you know what? I'm going to make this a bit more legalistic. I'm going to make others do what I want to do. It became about law instead of resting in God and loving our neighbor, particularly around the Pharisees. Here's the thing. The Sabbath was created so that people would stop their work 
and acknowledge that God is their creator who provides for all of their needs. It reminds us that we've been created to worship God and serve him first. It reminds us that rest in God is important because we cannot do this world we live in by ourselves. You see, the Sabbath wasn't created so that we could judge one another about how holy we are about going to church, but to allow us to cease from our labors and be blessed by God and then in turn be a blessing to those around us. It wasn't so that you would bind the consciences of other people like the Pharisees so that we might look super holy and super spiritual. Now the Sabbath reminds us we have a special relationship with God and he has set us apart for him. It reminds us that God is really our provider, not us. As we get into the New Testament, the writers of the Hebrews helps us see that the creation rest actually points forward to Christ's finished work on the cross. The creation rest and the Sabbath points forward to what Jesus will do on the cross. This is what Hebrews says. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. When we come to Christ, he becomes our Sabbath rest. The Sabbath rest in the creation points forward to the life and hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Here's the parallel. Do you remember what Jesus cried on the cross? It is finished. What does that remind you of? What have we just seen? God created the world and he said it is finished. The creation is done. It is perfect. Here, Jesus Christ on the cross says it is finished. Why? Because the work of salvation was complete. He had fulfilled the righteous requirements of God's law. He had drank the bitter cup of God's wrath and he had shouldered all of our sins on his shoulders so that we could find our total rest in Christ. So today, as we meet, is a day when we remind one another, you don't need to work your way into God's good books anymore. Why? Because Christ said it is finished. We remind one another as we take communion once a month, as we hear God's word preached, as we sing and as we pray, you don't have to work your way into God's good books anymore. In fact, that was never the way. You find your all in all in Jesus Christ who died for our sins. True rest this morning is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. The initial Sabbath here, or whatever you want to call it, it doesn't actually say the Sabbath there, but the, the initial rest day in creation reminded the people of Israel that God was their provider that he had rescued them from slavery in Egypt and taken them out 
of that land, and he had provided for all of their needs. And as we gather on a Sunday, and as we come to God's scriptures, don't we do the same? We stop and we remind one another, rest in God. Rest in God. He is your creator. He's provided all that you need physically. And more importantly, he's reminded, he's provided everything that you need spiritually to be in his presence and have a relationship with him. And that means this morning, if you're tired or you're weary or confused or burdened or looking for rest, this is the exact place you need to be. And there's only one place you'll find rest for your souls. The true Sabbath in Jesus Christ. See, we've been created to worship our Savior. We've been created to know our Savior, Jesus Christ. We were created to be in relationship with him. For Paul says all things were created through him and for him. And our Savior has done everything necessary for you and I to have a relationship with him. God is not far off this morning. God does care. God is speaking to us even now through his word. And so let me encourage you once again. Lay your burdens at the foot of the cross. Bring your sin, whatever's happened this week. Bring your filth. Bring your unrighteousness. Bring your burdens. And bring them to the foot of the cross. And say, nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I cling. Because Jesus says, come to me all who are labored and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And then when you find that rest, use your life to work for him, to his glory. Today is about stopping and saying, God, you are my God. You are my creator I love you. I'm so thankful for all that you've done in Christ. And if you're not a Christian, have you done that? Have you prayed to God and asked him to change your life? Have you confessed your sin and repented and put your faith in Jesus? Can I encourage you to think about that and to talk to someone afterwards if you've not done that yet? Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness. I thank you so much that you are God who has created us and all that we see with our eyes is yours. I thank you how you've given us dominion over the earth. You've given us purpose and meaning and things to do with our lives. But we confess that often we do not see you as our creator. We do things on our own. And we can be lazy and self-centered. Thank you, though, that Jesus Christ is our Sabbath rest. Thank you that we can find our rest in him. And we pray that he would help us to live lives to your glory, to be fruitful and to multiply. In Jesus' name, amen.